Well, good morning. What a beautiful day, huh? Yeah. It, it is May. What was that, Joe? Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Thought you knew something I didn't know, but there, you, you did. Yeah. All right. Hey, before I get rolling, um, listen, we, we started out saying if, when you open your Bibles, your tablets, phone, whatever you do, or if you're following along in the Word of God, mark it up. Um, underline, circle, whatever you do, but if you use colors or just red ink or highlighter, however, but mark up your Bible. You put it so that you remember things, so that you don't miss things. Highlight things so that you grab hold of them. Take notes because uh, I don't have all the answers and, and, and I'm not the only one that talks about First Peter, but at least some of the things we talk about can be valuable to you as you move on in your walk with God on a daily basis. And as we work through this whole book of First Peter throughout the coming months into August we want you to be able to grab the, the differences that will help you uh, live differently in these difficult days. I also want to remind you, um, who's your one? We did that a few weeks ago and want to encourage you. Many of you put names on that cross. And I hope that you are still praying for those people who need Jesus. You put that one. I think some of you may have done more than one and maybe who's your two, whatever it may be, they're there. So I want to keep that before you, remind you to continue to pray for your one and ask God to, to do a work in that individual's life, to open doors, uh, to open hearts, to open your mouth as you move forward for the glory of God. So every so often, um, we, we all text, maybe not all, but most of us text, right? You know what that is, texting on the phone and all the thing that you're not supposed to do when you're in your car? Yes, right, okay. Uh, but anyway, we have signs all over the police station, don't text and drive or something, I forget exactly how it is, but it's like, don't text when you're driving. But we text, and it's a great thing, and, and every so often I get these abbreviations, um, and I'm like, oh, I have no idea what that means. And, and uh, you, you know what I mean. Right now, some of these, uh, these are pretty easy ones. So, um, BTW, what's that? By the way, see, you're, you are texters. I know. All right. And, and BFF. Best friends forever. Yeah, we usually talk to somebody, hey, hey, that's your BFF. Or Jane will say to somebody that, I, hey, he's your BFF, right? And, and it's like, yeah, okay. And then we've got LMK. Let me know, right? Now, some of you are like, oh, what? I, oh. Uh, how about this one? I don't know. Yeah, I, we do know, but I don't know. Yeah, and then, the, and then, talk to you soon. Now, I had somebody text me that a few weeks back, and I had literally, I'm like, what in the world? I have no idea. I texted back and said, what does TTYS mean? Talk to you soon. I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Whoa. How about this one? Ah, I'm not sure anybody uses that on their cell phone, but it actually, if you look it up, it's a, an abbreviation or an acronym, whatever. What difference does it make? Ah, yeah. Now you have a new one to use. Try that on somebody and see how smart they are. See if they have any idea what you're talking about. 
you've all heard or said that before, right? Um, it, you know, it might be somebody tells you your mom or your wife uh, tells you to make the bed, right? And it's like, what difference does it make? I'm just going to get in it again tonight, right? That's a good one, all right? I'm sorry, students of moms and dads. I, anyway, uh, how about this? Well, you're not feeling well, so somebody says, well, you need to go to the doctor. And your response may be, why? He's just going to say it's a cold and there's nothing I can do for you. Right? Well, all right. Uh, how about this? Um, have you studied for your test? <laughs> no, but what difference does it make? No matter how much I study, I'm going to fail anyway. I hope that's not how you feel, but I, I've heard that. Um, okay, why should I be on time? Well, what difference does it make? The meeting never starts on time anyway, right? Uh, so we could go on, but you, you, you have a little bit of a context. What difference does it make? That's critical for us. I've decided as a result of my study this week and these acronyms to change um, the title of our study in 1 Peter. Here it is, living differently in difficult days. But after my hard work this week, we're going to do this, living differently. What difference does it make? Not really. <laughs> but think with me. So if I've been given new birth, I'm born again, right? Um, what difference does it make how I live? Um, I've been forgiven. Isn't that all that matters? What difference does it make in anyone's life if I live differently? I mean, does it really matter? Uh, are you with me? I mean, come on. Uh, God knows that I'm doing my best, and um, I, I know I'm supposed to live differently, but honestly, what difference does it make? And as we think that through this morning, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I don't know if you struggle with that, but in Peter's letter here, 1 Peter, I believe Peter is encouraging the believers to whom he is writing to live differently. That's what it is. It's not a rebuke. It's not a, a hitting them over the head. He is encouraging them to live differently. And uh, it does matter. It will make a difference how they live, how they respond to the difficult days they're facing. It will matter. And today, almost 20 excuse me, 2,000 years later, it will make a difference how you live. Amen. And I want to challenge you with that this morning, so please open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 to 25 is where we're going to look. If, uh, if you don't have a copy of the Bible and would like to use a hard copy underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible Close at hand, uh, page 850 in that Bible, 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm just going to start reading, at, follow with me uh, at verse 17. We'll just read down to verse 21 for now. Since you call on a father who judges these persons work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that that you were redeemed <clears throat> from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, 
but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. So this morning I see two uh, difference-making responses to the new birth. That's what Peter is talking about. He started back in the first um, 12 verses with salvation and a living hope and the inheritance, indestructible inheritance, and all of that, and that, that, that our salvation will one day be revealed to us when Christ comes again, the end of our salvation, the ultimate salvation. And so he's building on that, and he's saying here that as a result of that, we need to respond in the way we live. And you will make a difference when you choose to live differently. Understand that. When you choose to live differently, that's been our theme, you will make a difference in the lives, in your life, in lives of those around you. So number one, you will make a difference if you live in the fear of God. You will make a difference if you live in the fear of God. Look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. I mean, th this sentence I could spend all morning just on that part of the verse. Since you call, he's talking about prayer. He's saying, since you're praying, you know the Father to whom you're praying, or you wouldn't be praying to begin with. Now, I guess sometimes people cry out to God or, or say, hey, we just say a prayer for me, and they really don't understand what it means. But a person who knows God as Father prays to him. Amen. And since we call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially, our Father will one day judge. We're told that. Romans 14, 12. We will all need to give an account of ourselves one day before God. And so we're talking about that as our judge judges each person's work impartially. This is not judgment of our sin. This is not judgment of our works for our salvation. This is judging us as we are rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Judges with the idea of approving, with the idea of rewarding our work, not work salvation, but because we're saved, the works that ought to come out of our lives. And he does that without any favoritism whatsoever. Then if that's true, he goes on and he says this, verse 17, the second half, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And that's one of the two commands in verses 17 to 25. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, what does he call us foreigners? Well, we talked about that earlier, how that Peter's referring to the believers as exiles, as sojourners, strangers, aliens, some translation use. But the idea here, foreigners, people who are here that that this is not their home country. They're here, they're interacting with people, but they don't really know the people with whom they're living. And why? Because our citizenship is in heaven. We are here temporarily as foreigners and live out our time in reverent fear. And I want you to see number two reasons why we need to fear God. We fear God because of our relationship, because he's our father. 
I wish I could talk to you a whole lot about the whole fear of God thing. We may do that down the road, but as we talk about the fear of God, it's critical that we understand there is a real fear to that. You read through the Word of God, and you'll find that there was a fear at times before God. I mean, a real fear, an emotion. And, and yet, that's not where it starts. We typically use the phrase reverential awe. God is so awesome, but it's a revered thing, a reverential thing. And, and yet, it moves beyond that. It moves to a relationship. You can't really understand what it means to fear God if you don't have a relationship with God as your father. W won't happen. You can't really fear, as Peter is talking about, if you don't know God as your father. And so we're talking about the relationship. And what he says, he says, we fear God because of that relationship. Since we call on a father who judges our work impartially, we will one day give an account. And, and, and the idea is that we will give an account of how we have pleased God. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 says, we make it our goal to please him. Why? Because one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to be judged for our sin, but to be rewarded for how we've lived our lives since we got saved. And, and it's going to be how have we lived out that family likeness. Our likeness to God, our Father. More like Jesus, we say. We don't want to disappoint Him. We don't want to sin against Him. We want to live in a way that shows we respect, we honor, we revere Him. We love Him. When you love somebody because you know them, it changes the way you treat them. And that's the awe, that's the respect that Peter is talking about. Uh, it's living with an awareness that he is sovereign, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, that he is all-loving, and that the minute we take our eyes off of him, we're this close to falling into sin, not losing our salvation, but doing something that is not pleasing to God, sinning, disobeying what God says in his word. It's about how we honor God with our lives. Secondly, we fear God because of our redemption, because of our relationship, because of our redemption. Look at, look at verse 18. For you know. Foregone conclusion. You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life. Do you remember last week we talked up, if you'd move back up into uh, verses 13, 14, we talked about, he says, the way you used to live in ignorance, pursuing your evil desires. Well, that's the same concept here. We've been redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. We weren't redeemed with silver and gold, but we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. There were at the time an estimated 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Totally different picture than the slavery we hear about today that was existing in, well, even back into the colonial days and certainly during the Civil War and all of that. But many of those slaves in the Roman Empire became followers of Jesus. 
They heard the gospel as the gospel went out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. And many slaves came to know Jesus Christ. When we do our, when we celebrate communion in just a few minutes, one of the things that was going on there was that the people who were coming were, were slaves. They were working. That was, a, in a sense, a job but they, they were allowed to go and be with the church. And, and so they were there. And they, these people became followers of Jesus, got connected to local churches. So many of the people who, to whom Peter was writing were slaves or former slaves. They may have been freed. You see, if they were to be redeemed from a life of slavery, redeemed, that's the word right here in verse 18, um, someone had to pay the purchase price to set them free. It was called a ransom. Someone had to pay that price for their freedom. In some cases, the individual themselves could pay that price for their own freedom. But there were times when somebody would buy them, buy their freedom from their owner and set them free. That's what it means to be redeemed. And when you think about our salvation... We were slaves to sin. Jesus Christ went to the cross, died on the cross, shed his blood as the payment for our debt. He paid our ransom. He paid our debt for our sin and set us free. Huh? Amen. Wow. To redeem means to set free from slavery by paying a price. And that's what Paul's talking about. He said the price was the blood of Jesus Christ. That's right there in verse 19. We're told further on in verse 20 that it was done for your sake. And we can know confidently that this is true because Jesus was raised from the dead. If he just died on the cross saying he was paying for our sin but didn't rise from the dead, as we've said so often, we'd be wasting our time sitting here this morning. What I say will have no meaning whatsoever. Because Jesus, if he didn't rise from the dead, it wouldn't matter. But because he did, he now says in verse 21, our faith and hope are in God. This whole business of the fear of God, you want to live your life differently, you got to fear God. You must fear God. It's critical. God said to Abraham back in Genesis 22 when he had given Abraham the son of promise. God had promised Abraham that he would bless in him all the nations of the world. People would be blessed who blessed him, and they would have a land and a people. And, and, and yet, if that was going to be true, Abraham had to have a son. Abraham and Sarah at that point didn't have a son. They got a little impatient and tried to figure out how to solve that problem, and Abraham had a son by Hagar, but that wasn't the son of promise that God had said. And finally, Isaac was born. And after a time, God told Isaac to go and offer that son of promise on, on the altar, up on the mountain. Abraham didn't question, at least we have no record whatsoever. And Abraham took him up there, and, and I still don't have any idea how that worked, but Isaac was on the altar, and, God, and Abraham was about ready to plunge the knife into him, to kill him, to offer him as a sacrifice. But Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed God would have raised Isaac from the dead if that's what had to happen. Amen. But God stopped him. 
And, and in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 12, this is what God said to Abraham. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. And then this statement, now I know that you fear God. Wow. Now I know that you fear God. When we fear God, it shows in the way we live. Secondly, you'll make a difference not just if you live in the fear of God, but secondly, if you love one another deeply. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, let me, let me explain this verse because it, it seems like Paul's repeating himself. Why does he say the same thing twice? Look at it. Now that you've purified yourselves, now that you've been given a new birth, back in verse 3, or excuse me, verse 5, the new birth, being born again. Now that you've been born again. He repeats that again in verse 23. When Peter says in verse 23, he says, um, for you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, the living, enduring word of God. In other words, not silver and gold, which does perish, but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But he says, you're born again. And so now that you've been given the new birth, you've been born again, you've been purified, he says, right there in the text, right? He says, you have been purified, or now that you purified yourselves by obeying the truth, purification is referring to the forgiveness of sins. The blood of Christ has washed that sin away. Now that your sins are forgiven, you have been redeemed. You've been bought and paid for. Remember we said being redeemed is to pay the price and set them free. Jesus Christ paid the price for our salvation and set us free. No longer slaves to sin or death, but been set free. And he says, now that that's happened, you've obeyed the truth. Believe that's the gospel. Because they've been saved. They've been forgiven. You have an unhypocritical love for each other. Look at it there. Verse 22. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other. That word sincere. Unhypocritical. Not fake. The real thing. But that love there is a brotherly love. You may or may not have heard in, in, in the, the, the language that the Bible was written in in the New Testament, Greek, that there's different words for the word love, our English word love. One is Philadelphia, philos. Why do we call Philadelphia the city of brotherly love? Some would say, are you kidding me? <laughs> there's nothing loving about that city, right? Well, come on. Give me some love for that. But that's the word, philos, brotherly love. He says, now that you have a sincere love, a brotherly love for each other, and the brotherly love comes because I believe because they're part of the family. They've been saved and forgiven. That comes that way. Then he goes on, he says, now that that's happened, love one another deeply. And that is the second command in this text. The first one, as we already says, said, was live your life in fear of God. Here's the second one. Love one another deeply. That's the agape love. 
the deepest love that we can know. It's the love that God has for us. It's the love that God showed for us by sending Jesus on the cross. It's the love that kept Jesus on the cross when he gave his life for us. Agape. That love, folks, is one of the hard things. This God kind of love is self-sacrificial. When you say you love somebody deeply like this, we're talking about sacrificing for them. I think we know what that is, right? Moms and dads, have you ever sacrificed for your kids? Absolutely. That's what we're talking about. But God sacrificed his son for us. Self-sacrificing love. A giving love. We many times think of love as something we just get. When we talk about somebody's love, and then we get into another word, the eros, the erotic, the sexual, physical love. That is a love that's there, and in its place in marriage is a great thing. But sometimes that's all we think love is about. And if that's the only kind of love you know, you will have a miserable experience because you will miss the agape, the God kind of love, the kind of love that cannot be hidden, the kind of love that shows itself in humility, in kindness, in caring, in patience. It does not envy. We could go to 1 Corinthians 13 and look at all of the descriptions of that kind of love. But Paul or Peter says, love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another fervently. That's a, it's an athletic term. That means you give it every ounce of energy and strength you've got. Love one another fervently. It's the kind of love that says to the world that we are followers of Jesus Christ. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, by this everyone will know that we are followers of Jesus. How? By the way we love one another. Not just a brotherly love, but we're talking about the agape, the God kind of love. We love deeply. Now what does that say to us then? How are you living in the fear of God? So what? So what does all this mean? How are you living in the fear of God? Remember what God said to Abraham? Now I know that you fear God. What does God know about us? How does he know that we fear God? What would he say? Now I know that you kind of care about me. Give me some time every once in a while, or now I know that you fear God. How are you living in the fear of God? Secondly, how are you loving one another deeply? How are you loving one another deeply? Does it show? Does your fear of God show to others around you? Does your love for one another, your deep love for one another show? I can't think of a better way for this text that we are looking at this as we lined out the, t- the study in 1 Peter and, and realized that today was going to be the day when we remember Christ's death on the cross, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion. 
because it's right here in the text. We talked about the precious blood of Christ that was shed to pay for our freedom and forgiveness from sin. And I want to show you as we move in, we're going to do something a little differently as we look at the Word of God getting into communion this morning. In Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. And as we, in a sense, we draw a line, a very narrow line right here, a thin line between 1 Peter and the cross. Because I'm not going to read the typical communion text in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You can follow in that at another time. I want us to focus on what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, because let me ask you this. What if, what if you put your love in action as Paul describes in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21? You see, these verses are all about the body of Christ. And in our time of remembering Christ's death until he comes again, celebrating the death of Christ on the cross when he redeemed us, when he paid the price for our sin, really it was in the context. And what Paul was talking about was the problem is the way the believers were treating one another when they came to celebrate communion. If you were to go back in the early parts of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you'd see that. Paul says, your meeting does more harm than good. You're, you're gathering to celebrate communion and remember Christ's death, and you don't even care about one another. So what if you put your love in action as Paul? We'll look at verse 9 of Romans chapter 12. Love must be sincere. And I want you to think about this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that when we begin the Lord's Supper, we need to examine our hearts. So I want you to prayerfully listen and read and follow is because this is how you are. These are the questions you need to ask yourself as you examine your heart this morning. Verse 9. Love must be sincere. There's the love. Unhypocritical. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is all love in action, folks. Look at verse 11. Bless those who persecute you. Peter's saying... To love the believers there. He's telling them, love one another deeply. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. That's love. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Here it is. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That takes love. It takes a God-like kind of love. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. 
On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That takes love. A God kind of love. And this morning as we get ready to partake of the bread and the cup, Examine your heart, yourself, to see are these actions, these actions of love that require love, for, are they true of you? Are you showing them to one another? I want to give you just a minute just before we partake to examine your heart and see how we're doing with loving one another. Let's take some time silently. I'll lead us in prayer and we'll partake.